Hello and welcome to podcast number 13 in the All Things Java series. Some would say that's unlucky for some, uh, hopefully not unlucky for us or our listeners. It will be unlucky for me, I think. I'm Matt Greencroft. Richard Chesterwood. Good to see you, Richard, after I wouldn't let you out for the last podcast. You were busy away working on updating our courses, so we had a few complaints, I think, from our avid listeners that they missed your yeah, voice. Yeah, r- really, yeah. They missed your rants. I did have a few... I put... Um, I, I finally... I've neglected my blog, which is a terrible shame, and I don't know why. It just kind of kind of kind of fell by the wayside really and podcasting I think probably replaced the blog and I realized that's not that's not really a good idea I think blogs are still valuable I know they're not fashionable now but they're still valuable so I put up a blog post saying blah 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 you know the usual mayor culpa sorry for not updating the blog I've been doing podcasts instead but no one's listening to the podcast anyway so it's time to start putting more effort into the blog and I was amazed I didn't think anybody read the blog either and then I had two comments I think pretty much straight away saying I'm sorry to hear you're not doing the podcast anymore so there's at least two listeners there (laughs) and you're probably thinking I've probably planted those comments but I think they are Customers. Well, I'm, I'm going to go and look at your blog later and see if they're the same two listeners that I'm aware of or whether that means we've actually got four listeners. It could you be four. Know. It could be four. Um, so I did go back and edit the post because I realised it sounded like I was saying no more, more, more podcasts, which wasn't the case at all. Excellent. But, um, of course, you've also got a copy of your blog on the All Things Java site, which yes. we haven't updated. So... Uh, we are. We've got two versions of both your blog and my blog out there at the moment, and we need to have a think oh, about it's that. Just copied across. I, can't I assumed it was a direct. Just link to them. That'd be much better. Well, we'll have to have a look at that because at the moment it's copied across. So oh. anyway, um, no, no, no. so what are we talking about today? A couple of things in the news. I'm going to start with. I'm sure Richard, you are aware of the iOS app called HTML5 CSS JavaScript HTML Snippet Editor. Oh yeah. I'm never not on the <laughs> HTML5, blah, blah. Well, so the interesting word in the name of that app is JavaScript. And that's why it's in the news, because this app, which, as far as I'm aware, is really just a text editor uh, for iOS, um, the developers of the app received a notice from Oracle's lawyers saying that they have used the trademark term of JavaScript uh, mm-hmm. without the license to do so. And mm. they were told to take their app down off the App Store, mm-hmm. which I believe they've done. Right. Um, bit of bit of news about that because, well, interestingly, the article I was reading was saying that they think it might be something that was instigated by Oracle's lawyers mm. as a way of them demonstrating they are protecting Oracle's mm. trademarks rather than it being... Oracle's design necessarily. Yes. Um, but I was at a uh, meetup not so long ago where one of our two listeners that I'm aware of said, Am I concerned about all things Java? Are we using the word Java? Very interesting, yeah. Oh, With- great. <laughs> Oh, so, that would be fantastic publicity. Well, that's exactly what I thought. And I, Excellent. I, I said to the guy, well, as we actually have customers who work for Oracle, um, so they would be telling one of their suppliers not to use one of their terms. It would be very interesting, but it would be great publicity. So if there's any of our Oracle customers out there who want to suggest it, I wouldn't mind. Well, it would be, <laughs> if, if we did get a takedown notice or whatever, it would probably a lot, rather than renaming it, it will probably be a lot quicker and easier to simply change the contents of the podcasts to everything about the 
beautiful island of Java and why you might want to spend your holidays there. And by the way, Java coffee is lovely as well. <laughs> Do that instead. Or you, you or, or Jakarta, if you Java and Jakarta. Jakarta, absolutely, <laughs> all things Jakarta. Well, <laughs> so watch this space for now. At least we still think we're okay to use all things Java. Um, Interesting. Interesting. And obviously, the, the the big news is Java ten coming out suddenly overnight, which I think must have taken everybody by surprise. I don't think anybody really believed that this <laughs> six month cycle was going to happen. And I had, um, um, I actually had another listener, Hello Mark. Um, um, it's, Mark's a great guy, fantastic programmer. And he, um, just, just to demonstrate really how confusing this situation is, he sent me a message saying, WTF, what's going on? I hear Java 9 has been abandoned and is discontinued. And there's going to be no, and it, you know, it's caused a real ripple. I mean, Twitter went bonkers the day Java 10 came out. So, I mean, people haven't even started using Java 9 yet, generally. Right, but haven't Oracle announced, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say Oracle, haven't the committee announced that the next long-term support hmm. version of Java after 8 will be Java 11? Yes, I think it's 11, yes. It is. So, that's sending out a message, isn't it, that says don't use Java 9 and Java 10. Wait for Java 11. Well, it depends. For production it depends, yeah, if you're, if, you, if you're wanting to be on the edge and all that, then I, I do. This is a rare thing where I'm not going to be complaining about how boneheaded the whole thing is. It's kind of unusually kind of well done, as far as I can tell. But I just wish they'd not gone for full whole number increments. That is really confusing. This should be 9.1, 9.2, and then when we get to an LTS, the number should go up probably. I mean, it, the the pace of change now. I mean, it's not. I mean, if you actually look at what's in Java ten, there's not much there, barring barring one big headline thing that I'll talk about in a minute. But um, it, it's. I think there is a big psychological thing behind the the, the number going up. People tend to. Th- it kind of causes a cognitive load on people thinking that this is a big change so you, yes. you can have people going on about is it time to make the jump to java 11 yet or should we be on and it's you know that numbering is not quite right but um i'm well, gonna say kudos for doing it okay but the, the number i mean going into that numbering though so you know most people believe and i've got a website that'll back me up which we might mention in a minute or two anyway are using java 8 right now and there was a few people on java 7 mm-hmm. a few on java 6 but most are on java 8 so if you decide as a business we're going to move to Java 11 because that's the version of long-term support, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to do it on day one. So you might be moving to our Java 11 when Java 13 is out, and you know there's going to be this constant: is everyone going to get used yeah. to being a bit behind? Yes. Which again is a slightly different it's mindset. Very odd. Yeah, so, can't quite get my head around it. Yeah, really can't. So the big feature in 10, uh, it's really taking me by surprise. This is. Uh, local variable type inference, which you know, it's not the right medium on a on a podcast to talk about you know, in detail about what it's about. But I've put some code samples on my blog, which just I mean, it's very simple. Basically, instead of saying I'll go for the daftest simplest example, instead of saying string string equals new string, you can now say var my var my variable name equals new string. So the compiler will just work out that the left-hand side is probably going to need to match the right-hand side. Quite simple, but other languages do it perfectly well. 
Yes. So VAR is a new keyword. It is. Um, they nearly went for let. Whew. That was dodgy. Bullet dodged. Yes. Let would have been fun. Why would let have been fun? Well, you know, it's like basic, isn't it? You know? Oh, I see. <laughs> okay, so that's... so I. I wasn't going to talk about this just yet, but I'm currently doing lots of stuff in Kotlin. Oh, Matthew and, of and Kotlin. Oh. VAR means something in Kotlin, but let also means something in Kotlin. So uh, have they chosen let, which VAR pretty much means the same thing, right? Mutable I assume variable. it's mutable and immutable, is it? No, let is to do with running functions. Uh, let's not get into that just to today. I mean, that's not part of this thing. But let has a meaning, right? Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas var, at least you sort of, you know, it stands for variable, it's very clear. It, and interestingly, in Kotlin, it means mutable variable as opposed to immutable. Yes. So at least it's the same use of the term. Yes. Now, that was disappointing that there's no, this has got nothing to do with mutability. Sadly, uh, I did read the spec um, and it does talk about this. And they argue that that concern is orthogonal, as they say, to the concept of uh, type inference and they decided just to keep that out it would have been confusing it would have been difficult it would have been a big change in fact yes so I hope that's going to come to Java at some point in the future um, or move to Kotlin of course um, so yeah that was the, that was the headline feature anyway there were about nine or ten other which is the usual sort of uh, garbage collection improvements a bit of tidying up a, a very minor change but that would be so I use an example from the Spark course that we recently released, which I think Spark in Java, that, that was the revelation from doing that course, really. Spark in Java is almost as clean and simple as, as doing it in Scala. It's not far off. It, I've seen a lot of presentations where people laugh at Java's verbosity, but they're using Java 7. Once you're using lambdas, it's all yes. quite nice. Apart from tuples, tuples are horrible. But if you want to see that, buy our course and, <laughs> and you'll find out, apart from the tuples. Um, but when you, when you bring vars into the equation, it's, it's even nicer because you're not constantly replicating data types on both, on both sides of an yes. assignment. So yes. it's all good. Okay, well, that'll be interesting. And I guess in practical terms, though, all that really means by having var as a keyword is it's slightly less typing. Is, yeah, is oh, yeah, it, it's syntactic sugar, really. Yeah, okay. I think that's what I argue on the blog, given that what a lot of programmers will do, I certainly do this myself, is I, when things get complicated on the right-hand side of an assignment, you sometimes lose track. Is this a... Right, this is a new um, Java RD. This is a Java pair RDD with angle brackets, a tuple of a string and an integer. Have I got that right? And you use the quick fix to work out what the left hand side should be, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so the compiler's been doing that. Not, not the compiler, actually. Would that be the compiler? I'm not sure. Anyway, the IDEs have been doing that for a long time anyway. Right. It's just baked into the language. So, yeah, less typing, that's all. But that's a good thing. Okay, good. And the other news, I don't know when this happened. This is because it's, it's not that interesting to me, possibly. <laughs> um, not interesting to us, necessarily. Um, it certainly happened since the last podcast I was on, is that Java EE has now been renamed a rebranding exercise. Yes. And this is a nice this is a nice idea. So it's now Jakarta EE yes. instead of Java EE. And there's a... I have to admit, I've not bothered doing any research into this whatsoever that's all i know i I, it's funny actually because i'm exactly the same there so and i i think i might have mentioned this on the 
last podcast right. you were but, it, but literally just in passing or should I say Jakarta it was that kind yes. of thing yeah I vaguely um, remember that yeah, yeah. Uh, but actually it is just a branding it, there's no other well it is, is I mean, the important thing behind it is that it is now being governed by the Eclipse Foundation yes so this suggests and certainly the rhetoric suggests that it's going to be more agile it's going to be more releases so similar to Java and there's a lot of talk about it becoming more cloudified. So, I mean, that's what they've got to do. They've got to move into the kind of area that Spring have moved into if it's going to continue to be relevant. Yes. So it's a, it's a funny thing, this. I mean, we know you, you've been wanting to, to, to give a link to the, a web page which has a survey on it of who's using what at the minute. Yes. Yeah, so we are going to put a link to this uh, in the show notes. Um and it's a survey of around about 5,000 developers, and they're looking at, uh, well, they call it the State of Java survey. And I confess, I haven't spent time looking at who's actually behind this, what their agenda is, and so on, but it seems to be an annual thing that they do. Um, and certainly in that, I mean, the highlights they're saying is, we would have mentioned that... Um, the vast majority of people are on Java 8. They're showing it as a pie chart without numbers on, but I would estimate that's around about 85% of, in terms of Java versions. Um, they talk about uh, Spring versus Java EE, and I would estimate, again, looking at the pie chart, it's something like 75% of people are using Spring, about 10 to 12% are using Java EE, and then there's others in there yes. um, that, that sort of make up the, the gap. Um, so Spring is very much clearly yeah. more widely using. And that must be a, quite a change since... So back in 2011, we released the Java EE course. Frankly, not because we were excited about it, but because the market required it. Yes. And... It was quite a good course. It was our second best-selling course, I think. It did very, very well for us. So you would have said around that time, 2011, I don't think it was quite 50-50, but the balance was a lot. You know, a lot of our customers were saying, we don't use Spring, we have to use Java EE, so give us a Java EE course. That wouldn't happen now. And that, that, that kind of bears that out. Yes, I guess it's the, it's the larger companies with legacy systems running in Java EE that are recruiting yeah. new Java EE developers. But as you say, so the, cloudify, the, the cloud, uh, or the, the, uh, the current, yeah, I can't remember what the word is now, um, trend uh-huh. to, you know, to build microservices, smaller things that you're deploying in scalable infrastructure in the cloud, yeah. it, that that's not Java EE. That's not where it is, is it, really? Well, I suppose you I mean, you demonstrate on the Wildfly courses that we've replaced the Java EE courses with that you can be pretty quite agile with, with traditional Java EE. It's not... It, but that's clearly the challenge yes. they've got to address. They've got yes. to move in that area. And they've, they've, they've got... I mean, 10% is basically... And, and it's a declining 10% is the important thing. Yes. They've got to get that back up to the 40s and 50s if they want to stay relevant. So yes. I kind of... I don't know what... I don't know how I feel about this. Something inside me t- just says, I, I hope they do. I hope they do sort of get a bit of a revival there. But I don't... I can't justify that feeling. Um, yes... I mean, it's interesting how well Spring is doing, really. I'm amazed at that. I'm amazed the others. I know you'd think there'd be plenty of shops who are using, I don't know, some combination of Apache libraries or... And I'm, I'm, I'm suspicious, I have to say, at those figures. 
Well, this is 5,000 developers, and right? And 5,000 so developers a, of what? Who are they asking? I'm not clear. Yeah, I don't know that. I, so I, I apologise, I haven't done the research into the so credibility of this site. It may be 5,000 developers who identify as enterprise Java developers, possibly, because you would think if you throw a, if you throw a brick at a, you know, find a random Java project... The kinds of projects we're hearing about are using Kafka and, and Spark and uh, all this massive soup of. Well, there's no. I don't think any mention of Android on here, right? Now, clearly, there is a uh, you know a number of Android developers who are using Java, so yeah. they're not our target market, so we don't really talk to them. But they must not be. A, yeah, it must so, be a focused survey that. But yeah. certainly, certainly, Spring is huge right now, and I think one of the figures on there is that of those using Spring, almost all of them are using Spring Boots. Doesn't mean that they're not using traditional Spring as well, but yes, very few are. Just no, we are just using Spring, and we're not using Boot. That's quite. I mean, I don't think it gives you a figure there, but actually, it's almost an exact quote you've just said here. Almost all of them are using Spring Boot right. in production. So yeah, um, the other thing that. I thought was interesting was um, use of different IDEs. Yeah. Uh, so just over half on IntelliJ and just under a half, I'd say, on Eclipse. There's a few others in there. Um, yeah, it's quite less than a half, I seem to remember, on Eclipse. It's a, it's a chunk below a half. Yeah, yeah. it's like, what is it, 30, maybe 35%. Yeah, maybe 35%, something like that. Which is... Yeah, it's a wake-up call. I mean, it, it is no secret that Ma- Matthew now is a is just a total Kotlin. He, all he talks about is Kotlin. It's Kotlin this, Kotlin that, and he's a total IntelliJ fanboy now. Can he's, I just say, this makes a refreshing change from you wittering on about how I'm meant to be the closure expert. Thank you for that. Um, um, yeah, I mean, clearly you are going to gonna start using IntelliJ now. Um, it's funny, day. though, because obviously... For for 90% of what you do, which ID you use, you don't even notice that no. you're using something different. And no. I, certainly, I mean, as I say, I've started playing with Kotlin, which means I'm using IntelliJ, although you can do it in Eclipse. It's clearly better in IntelliJ. And it's little things like the fact that you can't save a file because it does it automatically for you. Mm-hmm. It's all those irrelevant things that are happening behind the scenes yes. actually 99% of the time I, I forget which I'm using so mm. okay some of the key presses might be different for some of the functions but your friends at JetBrains will not like you for saying that but, no uh, well, I'm not obviously using all the advanced features of uh, <laughs> their ideas we should fill in and, and uh, I mean, we've done a we've done a separate podcast on Kotlin but uh, just just in case people are not picking up on this banter Kotlin of course is 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 guided, governed by JetBrains, who make IntelliJ. I'm not sure. It, they invented the language, yeah. so um, I, yeah, I'm not sure of the relationship there. And although we talked about it before, I've only really in the last month got to grips with the fact that it genuinely could be the JVM language other than Java that's going to have longevity and wide adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a number of things pointing to that. I mean, we probably mentioned the last time that it's a first-class language now for Android. So Google are mm-hmm. uh, saying, if you're building an Android, you can build in Kotlin. We fully support it. So, mm-hmm. Which obviously is a big push. But um, interestingly, on that same website, and they look at JVM languages you might be using other than Java and the size of them. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting there is that the most widely used of all of the people they interviewed was Groovy. Yeah, I was shots at that one. I wonder if 
people are saying groovy because they maybe use Gradle and that's it. They don't do anything else with Groovy. Well, except that when you look at the build tools, Gradle is... Yeah, okay, so actually, yes. No, to be fair, it's just under a quarter are using yeah. Gradle. So that quarter are going to be saying we use Groovy, maybe. I don't know. I can't believe there are that many developing... Groovy's great. No, well, no, we, no we associate... Oh, I associate Groovy very much with Grails. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I know of a business locally that does use Groovy. They use it as a prototyping language. So they don't build their production systems in it, but it's certainly mm. a starting point. But looking at their list then, they're saying Groovy's number one, Scala's number three in terms of adoption, and Kotlin is the number two yes. now. Yes. And... I think not only is it the Spring side, sorry, not only is it the Android side, but of course you can build Spring Boot applications in Kotlin. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I've been playing If with. only there was a training course available from somewhere <laughs> that showed you how to build Spring Boot applications well, using Kotlin. Well, it would be great, wouldn't it? You might be letting the cat out of the bag, but that will be the next thing I'm working on. Wow. Um, and, you know, we won't whittle on here about the advantages of Kotlin over Java, but I... I mean, actually, what I'm doing as a way of learning Kotlin is I'm taking an existing Spring Boot application that we've got, and I am, I'm not going to say converting it to Kotlin, I am rebuilding it in Kotlin, um, because I think if you do a conversion, you lose some of the um, intricacies of how you might be able to do things a bit differently and mm. a bit more Kotlin-y, yep. if that's a word. Um, so I'm currently going through that process, and it's interesting. It's There's a lot of very nice features um, that... I think will 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 give you more reliable software mm -hmm. going forwards. Uh, I'm getting quite excited about it, and you know, so the, the the word on the street, if you like. I mean, I actually met the when we did our first um, talk on this podcast about Kotlin. It's because we've been to a meetup, and we name checked the guy who spoke at that meetup. It was called Andy Bose, if you recall. And I met Andy Bose recently, and he was he gave us a name check back to you, Andy. Thank you for listening to the podcast. He's one of our two listeners that I'm aware of. Um, but he was saying to me, we really should get into Kotlin more, and I think I'm getting persuaded. So, um, yeah, interesting that um, that you know, if, if you want to be doing other JVM languages. It seems now Kotlin, given the the current uptake, and it's already overtaken Scala. Um, I think it's it's a shorter learning curve for Java developers to move on to Kotlin, and some of the really nice features from Groovy are in there as well. So, um, so I'm I'm voting for it. That will be my next course, definitely. There you are. You've heard it here. Right. I can't wait. I shall buy it. <laughs> definitely. Um, Oh, I'm not working on anything. Are you not? <laughs> well, I have announced, of course. Um, so that is listed on the Virtual Pair Programmers catalogue now. But, and what course um, is that that you've announced, Richard? That is Kubernetes. But I'm, I'm not. I'm not kind of jumping up and down excited about it because it, that is the natural evolution from from our Docker series. So it's it's the next obvious step in our DevOps line. Um, can, can you give us the one line on what Kubernetes is? Can't do one line on anything. I can give a, <laughs> I can give a short lecture, of course, probably with a rant in the middle. Oh, either. let's have a rant. It must no, be time for that. No, I have nothing, nothing rant-worthy in there, really. But I'm a little bit... Um, I'm a bit... So with, with my course productions at the minute, I'm, I'm starting to do things that are... I think... Sorry, I'll back up. It's It's fair to say that perhaps traditionally... Our courses have been established technologies, things that are 
well used, well understood, and that gives us a certain you know we're not, we're not, we we weren't cutting edge necessarily in what we did, and that that was that's a good and a bad thing. But you know it meant we were we were solid, and now with the DevOps line, I've been very much working in areas that are changing fast, and a Docker course that's a year old will be a very old Docker course, and. So I, I am starting to include things in courses where I'm not sure if this is going to be the, the, uh, a success in the industry because it's relatively new. And a good example is with the Docker. I think our two Docker courses are really good. But the second Docker course focuses on Docker Swarm, which is how you... I mean, Docker's very nice in that you, you build containers, you build container images, it allows you to partition your applications, yah, 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 yah. But how do you manage them in production? How do you, how do you capture that this application needs these 57 containers and they need to be configured in this particular way? And I took a decision, and Kubernetes can do that, by the way. And right. Kubernetes has become, over time, I think, kind of, at the minute, the industry standard. It's the default option for doing that. And is that what was meant by orchestration? Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. Um, so it's an orchestration tool. But for whatever reason, when I was working on the Docker courses, I was aware that Docker Swarm existed, which does the same thing. And we hadn't used Docker Swarm. But I felt, and it's a decision that I'm not sure, I think I regret now, I felt, well, if I'm doing Docker courses, it should be a complete Docker course and we should include Docker Swarm. Right. So I spent a long time building the Docker Swarm part of that course, all the time thinking, why would I use Docker Swarm over Kubernetes? What, what, what am I losing one over the other? And um, I realize now, I'm a finger in the air. I mean, I don't follow this every single day, but it seems that the industry have kind of agreed Docker Swarm is not not the way to go. Kubernetes is where the, you know, all the cutting edge development's going in. So we're, we're kind of ending up now with these courses that have got topics on them that I'd rather weren't there necessarily. Right. It's a bit, bit awkward, that. And so I'm a rambling, really. I, I ramble rather than rant, I think. <laughs> I'm rambling, really, because my thoughts are a bit unclear on this. I wish I'd done Kubernetes a lot earlier. I wish I'd done it six months, a year ago. It's, it is late. Apologies for that for everyone who's listening, because I allowed myself to digress into what I thought might be, you know, if, hang on, if Docker has kind of got this stuff built in, maybe that's going to become the standard. And, and I love Docker Swarm. It was fun to work with, but Kubernetes is definitely where it's at. So Kubernetes is quite easy. My slight concern is, as you know, Matt, writing a course is a nightmare. It's horrible. And it should be, because what's the point of having a course if you're not going through some pain that you're, 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 you're fixing that pain for the listener? Yes. There's no point doing a course if it's all, oh, this is dead easy, start there, and you know. Absolutely. And I, almost Kubernetes, once you're up and running, it is very straightforward. As long as you already know Docker, because it orchestrates yes. Docker containers. If you know that, I don't think there's an awful lot really there, except for installing the thing. What a nightmare installing is. So I've got a Mac rig, a Linux rig, a Windows rig, and the Windows is very different depending on whether you're on Windows 10 Pro or Windows 10 Home, and then it's different again on Windows 
eights and before. So we've got all these combinations. Well, I was not able to successfully install Kubernetes on any of those machines, all for different reasons. Right. So I've been untangling that for weeks now. Now, anybody would be able to sit down at their particular rig and get it installed, maybe with two days of pain. Right. So, you know, this is not an unsolvable problem, but uh, no, for a course, we can't say in chapter one, installing it's really hard, go off and do that, come back to the next <laughs> video when you've done it. We've got to take them through it. Even yes. though I mean, it's the most tedious recording you can imagine, most people won't watch it anyway because they'll go <laughs> off and install it themselves, but you've got to do it. And so I'm not enjoying that right now. Okay, but, but once, actually, that's, done, it's once that's done, it's going to be very oh. short then, is it? If it's straightforward, or is it? I'm hoping it won't be short because we're going to do the usual thing with a virtual pair problems course. So it's going to be, we're going to, we're going to take a production, uh, obviously heavily cut down. I'm dusting off the ancient old fleet man application again, right. which we, which we did on Docker Swarm. So it'll be a good way of comparing the two, I guess. And uh, yeah, we'll be taking it through to deploying it to some real hardware. I'm kind of thinking now that we've been very locked into AWS and that's, you know, I mean, it's the, the leader, but it would be good to show it on Azure as well. And the others, Google App Engine, uh, <laughs> IBM's got one now. Yes. Crikey, we probably can't do all of those, but it would be good to maybe, I don't know. I don't know. We'll so think about that, Kubernetes okay. will be in May. So we're on the 1st right. of May now. So it's going to be one day in May. I Excellent. Don't, I don't know where. Usually my track record is it, it's generally on like May the 31st at 11.59pm UK time. Yes. Uh, well, one second off midnight, but <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen this time. Okay. Well, I'm not giving a date yet for Kotlin because I've got a lot of work to do on that one first. Um, really, just getting, learning it for myself sufficiently that I know I can actually produce software that would be production standard and this is the, and dealing with the issues and particularly around spring there are some choices you need to make around how you work with hibernate mm-hmm. um, posting data back from a web form to the server that requires you to build classes in a certain way if you're using Kotlin right. it's not a big issue but there's just some design choices to make so we need to right. I need to make sure I'm going to say the right things in terms of what is the production standard and actually when you have got a choice, what you should be considering. So I'm working on that still. Um, so I'm not going to give a date for Kotlin, but it is mm-hmm. going to be definitely my next one. All right. I suppose we ought to get off then and get back to work instead of waffling Indeed. on about it. Indeed. Um, I was going to talk about, I think we've probably run out of time now. I was going to talk about um, front ends in JavaScript. So maybe that's a subject for the next podcast. Mm. Angular, that sort of thing. Ah, okay. Yes. Maybe. Um, so, well, I will just I will just say that, you know, it's part of recording the Kubernetes course. Um, so, yeah, another thing is we've got this long series of courses on microservices at Virtual Pepper, and that is very much a, a fast-moving area. So we've got a massive pair of courses in fact that that use the Netflix stack for microservices and I think that's really valuable I'm sure a lot of people are very interested to see what Netflix are using etc etc but I've come to the conclusion that you know some some projects probably rely on that stack but it's certainly not necessary to build a microservice architecture and there are a lot of other ways of doing it 
So I think I've realised for the Fleetman reference application for this course, I'm simplifying it down and taking out any architecture that's not absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. um, but also I'm trying to make it so that it is built to more modern production standards. Um, there is a link to my GitHub repository on the Virtual Pair Programmers website. So if you go to the Kubernetes page, it says you can follow my progress. So right. I'm building the code and you can follow my commit. So I'm not actually pushing that regularly, but when I do a push, you know, the, the, the repository will move on a lot. And I decided that there's a, there's a front end built in Spring MVC. It's actually on Spring Boot, but Spring MVC. Okay. And I've just decided that, you know, I'm not a front end developer, really. I'm middle tier. But, you know, how many are actually using Spring Boot, Spring MVC on the front end? I'm not sure it's that many these days. It's more likely to be a JavaScripty type front end like Angular. So I'm porting it to use Angular. Oh, okay. Which is quite a... Yeah, and I've found I'm still not every time I every time I'm working on it, I'm thinking, am I just wasting time here polishing something that isn't? I mean, it's of no relevance to Kubernetes at all. It's just going to become a container. You won't even have to look at the code. But I'm doing it anyway. But we do we do get customers asking us from time to time, are we planning a course on? And yeah. it's often Angular. Yeah. Node.js is the other one we get yeah. asked for. We need and it. We do need it, but it's. It's not quite. It's always been in my head that it doesn't quite sit within the core of what we do because, you know, JavaScript is not Java. You know, okay, there are similarities and differences, but it's you know, there's more differences and similarities in my head. A JavaScript, no, a good there's no, JavaScript, yeah, there's no relation at all. Yeah. Right. So, a good JavaScript developer having Java as a background and a starting point is is a good starting point, but it's a different language. So, well, I'd say it's a terrible starting point. To be oh, honest. Okay. That's my well, the only disagreement we've had on Fair this enough. podcast. So it's, it's a terrible, so, terrible start. Point. So, you know, what would make us as a company want to teach Angular as opposed to C sharp? Well, simply because it fits in with the arch the architectures that modern projects are building. Right. Um, you don't need. Uh, th there is a big argument between the difference between traditional request response models and the and the and the modern Ajaxy model that, that Angular is sort of pushing. Um, so we you know, could argue over which one's best, etc. But a lot now are moving towards the JavaScript front end, which is calling Java backend. So it's a sweet combination. Right. You build your your middle tier with REST. It doesn't have to be REST, but it could be exposed as REST services. Yes. And Angular's just hooking into that. So it's a sweet combination. It doesn't okay. matter that that's written in JavaScript. It's actually TypeScript in Angular, but, you yes. know, it's... Uh, I suppose that makes it a little more Java-ish because you're working with classes rather than JavaScript functions. But um, right. it's a sweet combination. A lot of projects do it. Whereas your argument about looking at C Sharp, well, yeah, C Sharp's great, but you're just sw swapping out the Java for C Sharp. And there are better people who teach C Sharp way better than we'll ever do because they've right. got 20 years' experience of it. That's a... Uh, so you could see we might end up one day with an Angular course, but it's very much the Angular that just to, just in, enough to be building simple front ends to build to to hook into, which is how Angular's used. Yeah, right. wouldn't, that wouldn't be a simplification. And you say one day. I mean, I'm talking about this is June. I think we need to address this fast. Right. Okay. We're looking very very dated, um, 
and it was actually John Humble who I assume is listening to this podcast. You know, he he answered a question at the recent um, uh, the, the the Scala versus Java thing. I think the question was, and John can correct us if we're, uh, I'm wrong on this, but I think the question was, um, how would I build a web app in Scala? I don't what what you know. There's play framework, isn't there? But I think that was the question. Yes. What do people do for building web apps in Scala? And his answer was, duh. Why would you do that? You JavaScript. That's the neat tool for the job. Front-end JavaScript, call your back-end Scala in that case. Right. Um, so um, that is uh, that is the way. And I'm, I'm, always, I'm always very slow at picking up on these things, and I've been too, too slow getting into that. So time to address it, I reckon. Okay, good. So I've, I've burnt up some material there, unfortunately. So maybe the next podcast won't be about Angular, but certainly we will be releasing a course on Angular. We're not going to be Angular experts, and we're going to pretend to be Angular experts. So you're right there, what you were saying, the angles, the angle of Angular, it's <laughs> the angle we take has got to be right. We're not saying this is the definitive Angular course that you need. You'd probably want to get somebody else's Angular course after doing ours, maybe, but we'll be showing you how it slots into the architecture, how it fits into to Java build tools and all that yes. kind of thing. And actually, I guess a lot of our front-end stuff, I mean, so, you know, the courses we've got on Android, we are not putting ourselves as being Android experts, yeah. but it's enough to get you started and enough to give you an overview yeah. um, as a primarily back-end developer, yeah. you know, to get a bit of a flavour. So if we're taking that attitude, that sounds yeah, good to me. Yeah, I think so. The dangerous thing that we must always avoid is becoming evangelists. So I'm, I'm being a bit pithy there about you, with you and your Kotlin. Kotlin this, <laughs> Kotlin that, Kotlin the other. We've got to avoid being evangelists because, I mean, I think Angular is beautiful. It's right. It just absolutely blows me away how fantastic it is. It's okay. just... That it, the model is beautiful, and I think that's really dangerous. If I do a course now on it, I'm going to be saying, "Oh, this is fantastic." That's not what we're about. We're about saying, "Oh, this is a nightmare to work with." <laughs> These are the problems, and and that's what comes from. That's where expertise comes from. You've you you go get past that fanboy stage and you move into a more experienced, rounded knowledge. Yes, and getting there is it's hard work, but. But, but I think it's when you're enthusiastic about the thing that you are working on, it's a lot easier than when you think, we need to do a course on X because we've promised it. Right. And actually, it really isn't pleasant and we're really getting stuck with it. I guess. And, you know, so at I least guess. it should be a more enjoyable experience. And I, I guess. guess. But I am mindful of, I just think back to, we nearly did a Grails course. Grails gets a mention on every single <laughs> podcast we do. And we nearly, so nearly did a, did a course on Grails many years back and we just missed out every you know what was it scheduling problems or something i don't know we yeah. just never quite got around to doing it uh, my goodness me do i look back and think bullet dodged we don't want to we and we would have been enthused we would have been like grails is great because we've had all this success with it and we didn't know that all the pain and nastiness that we had with grails was just around the corner yes. and we'd have led loads of people over that cliff and we yes. have got the blame. Okay, but I, I, the last course I was really enthusiastic about was Time Leaf. Yes. Right? And I still 
really like well yeah yeah and that's you're using your experience there though you know html well you know xml well you know you know that and you've worked for years in situations where you've had to pass work off to web designers yes. and you've had to round trip with them you've got the wall stories there you've done it the, you were enthusiastic about time leaf not because it was a new shiny thing that you 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 know you just discovered and were shouting about it's because you knew it was going to solve your pain yes and it does and it's, so, and it's no a more problem. pleasurable experience than JSP. Well, and, yeah, banging <laughs> your head with a brick for 10 hours is more pleasurable than working in JSP. Of course yes. it is. So you were using your experience there. Whereas when you start on something like Angular, yes. I, I have no way of knowing. I can, I can see the model's good. I can see it's going to improve my user's experience because they're not waiting for request response round trips. Of course, we've always been able we've, we've been able to do that for many years with Ajax, but the fact that this is this is a complete architecture where Ajax is there from the ground up, and you don't have to you don't even think about it. You just think in terms of components that are refreshing themselves and two-way bidirect. You know, it all looks right, but. Yeah, it might be one of those things that you use for a few years and then you're, you're having to rip it all out. And it, you know, it could be another Grails. Right. It could be. I don't think it is. Um, and I hope I get lots of hate mail from JavaScript, yeah. TypeScript fanboys who... Um, actually, fanboys should be... A, it's a gender neutral. Fan people, I should start saying, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, the fans of it. Well, I hope I'll get lots of hate mail. And that'll kind of suggest that yeah, maybe we are. Maybe we're going in yeah, the right direction. With it. But um, we've got to be careful. There's too many fads in this industry and they've dared to be avoided. Yes. And I guess that's always one of our challenges is identifying what is it that, that people are really needing. Um, and, you know, we, we get that really by talking to customers, talking to people at meetups, seeing who's out there and what they're doing. And I'm definitely, that's why I'm getting the sense, look, Kotlin is where he's oh, okay. on the ascendant. You're Kotlin, getting, Kotlin. You're, you're now talking about nothing but Angular, so I'll get my own back at you. I, I think we're both getting overtired, aren't we? So maybe we should call it a day on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> You're, you you have your laptop in front of you and you're programming Kotlin while you've been talking. <laughs> I can't can't get a word of sense out of you. So I don't know what the next subject will be, um, and the next podcast will get, keep them regular. I so I don't know if, if I'm if I'm still welcome as a guest on the podcast, I will, <laughs> I will happily come and talk about what's happening. But a, a few weeks, I think. Yeah. Yes. So well, we've both got plenty of work to do to keep us busy for the next couple of weeks. So yes, uh, expect one hopefully before the end of the month. But we'll see how we get on. Good stuff. Lovely to speak to you again, Richard. Thank good, you for good, listening good. out there, if anyone is, other than the two straight four that we know about. <laughs> <laughs> See you on the next podcast. Cheerio.